Well, if you found Isaiah 6 and you're able to, would you stand for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 6, and we'll begin by reading verse 1 down through verse number 8. The Bible says there, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one having six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, excuse me, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. The title of the Bible study this evening is this, Isaiah's Heavenly Visit. Isaiah is called up in a vision and taken to heaven into the throne room of God. And this experience changes his life. Let's look at that uh, encounter this evening. Lord, help us tonight to take a real close look within our own hearts and see, Lord, where we might fall short the way Isaiah did. Lord, help us to be as tender to your calling on our lives as Isaiah was, as Brother Serna was, as many of your faithful servants both in full-time Christian service, and Lord, those who are just servants that love you full-time. Help us, Lord, to be willing to be surrendered. Help us to surrender our hearts the way Isaiah did and follow whatever calling you have in our life, whatever that means in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah are all, or at least chapter 2 through chapter 5, are all the same uh, prophecy. And Isaiah has been raked over the coals Uh, Rather, Judah's been raked over the coals by Isaiah on behalf of God because they're a stubborn people. Uh, They have their mindset on doing wrong, even though they've been uh, uh, given everything. We looked last uh, the last two weeks at Isaiah 5 and saw the vineyard of wild grapes, how that uh, the Lord worked real hard to get this vineyard to be a vineyard that would produce grapes that are pure and lovely, and instead it just ended up being a bunch of wild grapes and The Lord became very frustrated with that. And um, uh, so chapters 2 through 5 sort of give us an idea of the prophecy that's coming in the book. But then we get to chapter 6 and Isaiah takes a break from prophesying to tell us of his experience or of his calling. His calling into being a prophet. Not just anyone could be a prophet in the Old Testament. It was a specific calling. It was, a, it was something that God would draw men to. In fact, we know from uh, other Old Testament books that if you stood up and claimed that God had given you a prophecy and that prophecy didn't come true, you were to be killed for that. And so being a prophet and foretelling the future and being a representative of God was a very important thing. And God had called Isaiah to do this Work And there was a very specific time where God called Isaiah into this work. Now, likewise, for all of us here today, God has a specific calling on your life. For me, God's calling on my life is to be a pastor. But God doesn't call everyone to be a pastor. God doesn't call everyone to be a missionary the way he called Brother Serena. God doesn't call everyone to be an evangelist and travel around church to church and preach. But God does call every Christian to do something to advance the cause of Christ within the body of the local church. And so uh, we need to evaluate our hearts this evening the way Isaiah was forced to and ask ourselves this question, am I following God's calling on my life? So let's jump in tonight. I've got two main points and then an A, B, C, D, and E beneath each of those points. Letter A, notice, or rather, number one, notice Isaiah's dream. Isaiah's dream. Look with me at verse number one of Isaiah 
chapter 6. The Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, this is interesting that we're given um, a we're given the the year in which this happened, and the way we're given the year is by a tragic event that occurred. It says here in the year that King Uzziah died. Now we know from studying the genealogy of the Bible that Uzziah, King Uzziah, was Isaiah's uncle. This was a family member that had died, and in this time of tragedy, in this time of great hurt of his heart, this was the time that God chose to call Isaiah to a special work. Uh, Why does God let tragedy come into our lives? Well, it's impossible always to know the answer to that question. Sometimes it it will take us getting to heaven to find out why God lets tragedy come into our lives. But can I just tell you from personal experience that when tragedy has hit my life, that is the time that God has worked the most in my life to grow me and show me His perfect will. It's those tough times that God uses to do a perfect work within us. It's those tribulations and trials that hurt and that uh, where life just stinks and life is miserable and you just want to hurry up and move past that stage. God brings those things into our lives to help us and to grow us. I heard a preacher one time talk about how that when he was a little boy, his mom loved to crochet, and he would, uh, as just a little guy, two, three years old, he would see his mom sitting in the rocking chair working on this piece of fabric that had been stretched over this, uh, just just stretched out, and she's running a needle up and down and up and down. And for hours every day, uh, she would work on that. And one day, he said to her, he said, Mom, why are you working on something that is so ugly? All he could see was the bottom of it, where all these loose threads are hanging down. And she smiled, and she said, Son, one day... I'll show you what I'm doing, and it won't seem so ugly. And so day after day went by, he continued to scratch his head on why Mom was working on such an ugly thing. And when she finished it, she picked him up and set him on her lap, and he could see the top side of it, and she had made a beautiful duck on a pond. And and what looked ugly from the bottom, loose threads hanging down, ended up being beautiful. What changed? What changed was his perspective. Sometimes when we see these loose threads hanging down and we wonder, has God lost charge? Is God in control? Does He really know what He's doing? God is in heaven saying, I've got it all under control. King Uzziah died. Life was not easy for Isaiah. No doubt he was heartbroken at the loss of life of someone he loved dearly. And this was the time that God would speak most. This was the time that God would draw Isaiah out and give him his experience of a lifetime. Letter A, notice, the angel's proclamation. The angel's proclamation. Look with me at verse number 2 and 3. The Bible says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What's going on here? Isaiah is caught up in a dream and a vision into the throne room of God, and there are these angels flying around with six wings, two of them covering their face, two of them covering their feet, and two of them, they're flying around. Can you imagine one day you're sitting there uh, just daydreaming, you're kind of lost, just lost in your thoughts, and all of a sudden you're in the throne room of God, and there are these angels flying around, Wow, and they're crying, holy, holy, holy. Listen, what do we get from this right here? We understand that God made these angels for a specific purpose, and the purpose for which He made them was to glorify Him and tell, constantly speak to the fact that He is holy, holy, holy. This was the purpose of why these angels were made. This is the entire reason why these angels exist, to proclaim the holiness of God all day, every day, for all of eternity. Do you know that God made you for a very specific purpose, just like He made these angels for a specific purpose? The angels' proclamation, the Lord is holy. Listen, I see a lot of brokenness in our world today the way all of you do. There's a lot of hurt in this world. 
There's a lot of people that do a lot of evil things that attack and tear down and hurt others. And uh, we can lay, lay, lay in bed at night and think about these things and wonder how God could let them happen. But the truth is, God is holy. He can do no wrong. There is no guile in Him. There is no evil in Him. Evil is the opposite or antithesis of God. God is good and holy and right. And evil uh, uh, originates with Satan. And everything that is evil and wicked and hurtful and painful comes from Satan and is a, a, a result of the work of Satan. And as Christians, we have to be careful not to pin on God that which Satan is guilty of. We see the angel's proclamation, let her be noticed, God's power, God's power. And Isaiah has been caught up in this vision into the throne room of the most holy God. Verses 2 and 3 tell us about the angels and their declaration. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, rather. The Bible says, And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. How powerful is the voice of God? When he spoke, the, the, the whole room shook. I think of that story in the book of John where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. How many know what I'm talking about? And guess what happens? They come to arrest him. And they say, he says, who seek ye? And they say, Jesus. And he says, I am he. And what happens? They all fell over. Wow. Uh, At that moment, I am realizing as a Roman guard, I can't arrest this man. I, I'm powerless. And then uh, they get back up and he asks them again, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says again, I am he. That time he didn't knock them over because he chose to not have it knock them over. And they arrested him and took him away. Listen, when God speaks, things happen. You understand that? Do you know that this world here did not come about about from a big bang? I believe in the big bang. I really do. But I believe the big bang is coming. Right? This world is going to burn up with a fervent heat. Uh, uh, Peter told us in one of his epistles. And one day, this earth is going to be destroyed with a fervent heat. And it's going to go out with a big bang. And see what Satan likes to do. He likes to take what God does and he likes to rearrange it. And that's coming at the end. And Satan took the big bang and he put it right at the beginning and said, No, we got here from a big bang. We didn't get here from a big bang. We got here from Jesus or God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit working together as a trinity. They spoke and everything. Everything came into existence. God's voice is all powerful. God's voice is powerful, and we need to understand that we serve an all powerful God. Whatever problem you're going through right now, whatever pain and hurt that's in your life, you may think that God's forgotten about you, or maybe you think that God just can't uh, uh, handle uh, the, the situation you're in and that it's impossible. And I would just remind you that God made the world with His voice. He can do anything He so chooses. Isaiah got a front row seat to this power. Let her see. Notice Isaiah's problem. Isaiah's problem. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 6 and look at verse number 5. The Bible says, this is Isaiah in the presence of God. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What caused Isaiah to realize just how sinful he was? He saw God for who He was. You know, the Bible talks about how that one day we'll give an account for every idle word that is spoken. When I I read that passage in the New Testament, I probably do what you do and think, oh, I mean, how many times have I spoken an idle word that was not so good? Right? Does that mean that God's going to put up on some screen in heaven all the idle words that we've spoken? I don't think so. I think what happened right here in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 5 is that Isaiah walked in the presence of God and he saw how holy and how powerful and how perfect he was and he fell on his face. And what was the very first thing he proclaimed? He said, I am a man 
of unclean lips. You know what he's doing right here? He's giving an account for every idle word that he ever spoke. Now watch this. Before Isaiah entered into the presence of God, he probably didn't see himself as that bad of a guy. In comparison to everyone else, he's a pretty good guy. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12. Obviously, hold your place in Isaiah. We're going to be working through that this evening. You don't want to lose that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at me at verse number 12. The Bible says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know, um, Satan again wants us to work opposite of the way God wants us to work. Watch this now. God wants you to compare yourself this way, vertically, with Him. You know what worship is? Worship is a strong realization that God is holy and perfect and infinite. He's everything. And when you focus on how powerful and holy God is, you come to a place, not only mentally, but emotionally, where you realize how little and insignificant and finite you are. And once you enter that place emotionally, you have found worship. You have found worship. You know what Isaiah is doing here in the throne room of God? He is worshiping God. I, I love to get on my knees. And I love to spend the first few minutes of my prayer time magnifying the attributes of God. I'll pick two, three, or four of the attributes of God and I'll just spend depending on how much time I have to pray, 10 to 20 minutes, just talking about how great God is. I have a little girl. She's 10 years old. I love when she curls up on my lap and, uh, and cuddles with me. And I love when she tells me how wonderful I am. Usually that means she's getting ready to ask me for something. Right? Dad, can I get you something to drink? Can I make you a cup of coffee? And, um, look, I know it's coming, but I would much rather her cuddle up to me and flatter me before she asks than just ask without the, the special love. I love to sit in the lap of God, if you will, and tell Him how wonderful He is. And then you know what I do next? I confess my sin to Him. And after I've spent 20 or 30 minutes on my face focusing on how great God is and how sinful I am, I'm ready to worship God. I'm ready to worship God. What's Isaiah doing here? He has realized how great God is and how horrible he is. Look back at verse number 5 with me of Isaiah 6. Notice what he says there. I, woe is me. Now, last week in Isaiah 5, we looked at the six woes that are pronounced against Judah. Now, watch this. If you don't declare woe on yourself, God will declare woe on you. Woe is one of the strongest words in the whole Bible. And because I, Judah had turned their back on God and just ignored him and were living in a covetous, selfish way, God sent Isaiah to say, Woe, woe, woe. One day an angel is going to come down into the skies during the tribulation period and he's going to cry, Woe, woe, woe against the earth. Now, Isaiah didn't need God to say woe to him because he's declaring it on himself. Woe is me. I am undone. Look here. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I just want to encourage everybody here this evening, be careful with what you say. Be very, 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 very careful with the name of God. Don't take His name in vain. Don't throw it around half-heartedly. You know, the Lord was working on my heart some time back. 
somebody would do something that I appreciated, and I would say, thank God. And I thought, how sincere am I when I say that? Well, God's name is to be put up on a pedestal and worshipped, not just thrown around freely. We better be careful about that. We better make sure we treat God with the reverence that He deserves. I go to grocery stores and shopping centers and uh, sometimes to sporting events and I'm out and about at um, some gathering and there's a bunch of people around and, and I'll hear people and I'll hear their mouths and I'll think I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What gave him this perspective? He stared in the face of God and he was able to see himself. Today I met a man out soul winning named Lewis. Lewis just moved to Stratford from the Bronx. Lewis was very friendly, very kind gentleman. He was out walking his neighbor's dog because his neighbor who lives across the street from him is beginning to have some severe health problems. So Lewis has gone over and he's taking care of his neighbor and trying to help him with his dog. And Lewis was out and I, out, I was out knocking doors and I got to strike up a conversation with Lewis and I asked Lewis a question. I said, Lewis, if you were to stand before the gate of heaven today and God were to ask you why I should let you into my heaven, what do you think you'd tell him? And you know what Lewis told me? He said, well, I think I'm a pretty good guy. And you know what? I really can't argue with Lewis. He's out walking his neighbor's dog who's having health problems. That's a pretty good thing to do. But I told Lewis, I said, Lewis, the problem is, that when I got into the gospel with him, I said, Lewis, the problem is you're comparing yourself with the average Joe. We're not to compare ourselves with the average Joe. We're to compare ourselves with God. And he put his head down and said, well, then I'm not a very good guy. I'm not a very good guy. Turn over to Isaiah 64 and look at verse number 6. I, I really think it's important to draw this out. And when we get to Isaiah 64, going verse by verse, I'll probably go back to Isaiah 6, and uh, we'll look at it in reverse. But look, that, that'll be a year from now. We're going a chapter a week. It's going to take a while. Isaiah 64, look at verse number 6. Look what Isaiah said. This is the man that stood in the presence of God in his throne room. He said, But we are all as unclean things, and all our unrighteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You know, this argument that I'm a good person, that's what's going to get me into heaven. Isaiah said, hold up a minute. I've stood in the presence of God and I've seen good. We are not good. We are not good. He said, let me show you what your righteousnesses look like. He said, you see that rag hanging on the tree over by that leper village? That rag that was used to cover that pussy sore? That rag that was rinsed out and hung up there to dry so it could be reused? Your and my righteousness is, are in comparison to God's righteousnesses as that filthy rag. Well, God, God's not interested in that. If I were to take that rag off the tree and hand it to you and say, hey, why don't you go uh, clean your child's face off of that? You'd say, I'm not touching that thing. Um, about about a month ago, I went to the store and I bought myself some new T-shirts. And I brought that I hadn't done it in a long time. I brought those T-shirts home and I laid them down on the bed. And I mean, the whitest of white Hanes T-shirts, never been worn. And then I went to my drawer and I got out a T-shirt that I've been wearing for probably four or five years. And I laid that down on top of that brand new T-shirt. You know what? My old T-shirt didn't look so white anymore, in comparison to that brand new T-shirt. You and I, we think we're so good. Man, I do this and this and this and this. And God says, compared to me, you're not so clean. Compared to me, you're not so holy. Compared to me, you have filthy lips and you have a filthy heart. And compared to me, you're a problem and you have a problem. And that problem is sin. Look at uh, Isaiah's state as a whole. Here in verse number 5, Look at him here. He says, then said I, woe is me. You know what Isaiah is right here? He is, he is in a saddened state. I believe he's laying prostrate on the ground. You know what sin does? Sin depresses. 
You live a life of sin, it's going to depress and depress and depress and depress your spirit. Now, I'm not saying all depression as a result of sin, but I am saying that the large majority of it is sin brings about a strong depression in our lives, and that's exactly what happened here. We see Isaiah's problem. Notice letter, letter D, Isaiah's purification. Look at verses number 6 and 7 there. The Bible says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purged. Isn't that great? This angel, one of the seraphims, went over to some altar where there were coals and he got a coal off the altar with a tong and he came over and he touched Isaiah's lips and when he touched Isaiah's lips that represented that purging of his lips and that making him holy in the presence of God. Turn over to 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 9. I know most of you in here haven't memorized but uh, turn over there anyway. Uh, uh, 1 John chapter number 1 and here we're told how that when you and I enter into the presence of God, we also can have our lips purged, our sins purged, our hearts made clean, and we can be made new. Look here at verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, purge us, cleanse us from all unrighteousnesses. Now, the pattern for the New Testament Christian is simple. Watch this now. When I do wrong... I go into the presence of God and I confess my sin and I am purged, cleansed, forgiven. Now I want to just make a a really uh, necessary doctrinal clarification for some of you that maybe need this articulated or maybe this will just help uh, uh, unmuddy the waters a little bit. Okay, watch this now. When you got saved, you put your faith and trust in Christ. Watch this now. He forgave you of your eternal consequences. In heaven, when we sin, before we got saved, there, was a, there were books in heaven, and our sins were recorded in those books. The moment you got saved, those books were buried in the deepest sea. They're gone. Your eternal consequences are gone. But your earthly consequences are still around. So if I go, watch this now, if I go and I lie, or I cheat, or I have a moment of pride, or I get angry. I've sinned. But you know what? When it comes to my eternity, those sins have been buried in the deepest sea, thrown over God's shoulder, forgotten they are no more, cast as far as the east is from the west. As far as the eternal end of it goes, they're forgiven. But in the father-son relationship I have with God, there is a brokenness to that relationship that must be restored. Here's another way to put this. When you got saved, you became the child of God. Sonship with God can never be broken. But fellowship can. Fellowship can. How do we get fellowship restored? How many of you in here are parents? Raise your hand for me if you're a parent. Very good. Guess what? You have children that have probably done wrong before. How did fellowship get restored between you and your child? They have to come and show some sort of humility And guess what? When they show some humility and it's been corrected, then fellowship is restored. Is there a parent in here that would say, my child could do something so severe that they would cease to be my child? Oh, no one. Once your child, always your child. You were adopted into the family of God the moment you got saved. You became permanently a child of God. But when you do wrong... Fellowship with God can be broken. Do we need to go back to the throne room of heaven and say, Lord, make me your child again? No. But we do need to go to the throne room of heaven and say, Heavenly Father, I blew it, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And those sins are purged, and every single time God forgives us. Boy, I sure am thankful that God forgives us every single time. So Isaiah realized his sin, and when he did, he confessed it, and God forgave him and purified him. Go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and notice letter E, the Trinity's pursuit. The Trinity's pursuit. Look with me at verse number 8 of Isaiah chapter 6. The Bible says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send 
and who will go for us. Now, I want to take, before I get into the meat of uh, the meaning of this, I want to show you a neat little doctrinal thing here, okay? We all understand that there is a trinity. God is a trinity, right? Watch this. It's three in one. Three in one. I can't comprehend how God can be three entities but be one entity. And I'm glad I can't comprehend it because that means God exists on a level that is beyond me. That makes him bigger and better than me. But here we see the author, Isaiah, trying to help us understand the complexity of God. Look back at verse 8 and notice the pronouns used to describe God here. Look here. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom?" so the, the Lord is speaking here, Whom shall I, singular sin, and who will go for us, plural? The Trinity, singular, is having a dialogue, plural. Now, I find that really fascinating, amen? That God is three in one, and that's laid out here uh, carefully. But let's look at what he's saying here. He's saying here that the Trinity is having a conversation about who can go and represent them on earth. Now, notice the order of events here. Look here, look back at letter A, the angel's proclamation God's power, Isaiah's problem, he sees his sin, Isaiah's purification, he gets his heart right, and then he hears the Trinity speaking. I want to ask a question here. Was the Trinity speaking before Isaiah was sins were purged? The answer is yes. This was an ongoing conversation. In fact, up in verse number, what is it, verse number 4, the Bible says, or, right, verse 4, the Bible says that the Lord spoke and the pillars moved. Now, when he first got in the presence of God, that conversation was already happening, but he couldn't hear what was being said because he, was, uh, he had to deal with his own sin first. Turn over to Matthew chapter 22, in verse number 14. I'm going to make an application of Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, that will line up with Isaiah chapter number 6. Matthew chapter 22, look down at verse number 14 here. Jesus is speaking here. He says, For many are called, but few are chosen. I've heard that verse almost my whole life, if not my whole life. That's a common verse you hear preachers use. Many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Can I tell you what I believe it means? It believes that, I believe it means that God is calling many, many, many people but he can only choose the ones that hear him. If you're here this evening and you don't have any idea what God's calling on your life is, let me encourage you to follow the path that Isaiah followed. Get yourself in the presence of God through Bible reading and prayer. Confess your sin and seek God's face to show you the plan he has for your life and the calling on your life. Let me use an illustration here to help explain to you what this means. Brandon is sitting over here. Okay, I'll use Brandon as an example. If I were to call Brandon and, and ask him to say, go get me a cup of water. I don't need you to go get me a cup of water, but just as an example. I said, Brandon, I need you to go get me a cup of water. And Brandon goes out and he gets me a cup of water and he brings it back and set it down. And I reached in my pocket and I gave him $1,000 as a thank you. That would be a pretty good trade-off, wouldn't it, Brandon? All right. thousand bucks for bringing me a cup of water. Now, because, I, because you were close enough to hear me, you could do what I asked. But imagine that you were standing out on Main Street Putney, or let's say you hadn't come to church tonight and you weren't watching on the live stream, and I just blurted out in the middle of my sermon, Brandon, bring me a cup of water. You wouldn't be able to hear me because there would be a distance between the two of us. Now watch this, Christian. God is calling your name and He has a calling on your life, but if you're living in sin and you've wandered away and there's a distance between you and God, He can call and call and call and call, but He can never choose you because you can't hear Him. Watch this now. Isaiah got his sins confessed, his sins purged, and then when his sins were purged, he heard the voice of God having a conversation about a need. Now, if you don't know what God's calling on your life is, it's time for you to draw closer to the Lord. It's time for you to get your heart right, and then God can call you. I look around at our world today, and I see a very broken place. 
I see a world where Satan has full domain. There's sex trafficking going on with children all over this country, all over this world. There are people that are treated in ways that are just inhumane. There's, um, there's a lot of people right now sitting somewhere crying out to God, wondering where He is to help them. Furthermore, there are people in this very country and obviously in other countries who do not know how to be saved. They're following some false religion. Or maybe they're just living their life ignoring the existence of God altogether. And the reality is one day they're going to stand before God. They're going to give an account for their life. There are regions of this world where the only time anyone has in that region heard the name Jesus is in a way that's in vain. They have no idea who he is or that he died. Can I ask you a question tonight? Does God want those people to be saved? Is it God's will that those people hear a clear presentation of the gospel? Then why is it that they don't hear? Why is it that they don't know? Can I tell you why I think it is? I think you probably already know, don't you? Because Christians are too busy making money and being comfortable. God's calling Christians to go to these regions of the world. But we're too busy running around the, running on the hamster wheel of life answer that call. Sunday night I preached about keeping the gospel on a leash. You know what happened when Isaiah got in the presence of God? He confessed his sin and he took the gospel off the leash. He said, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. I'm not here to guilt trip anybody tonight. That's not my purpose but I want to give an honest assessment of the world. The answer to this world's problem is the gospel. And unless we're going to do like Isaiah and get in the presence of God and confess our sin and seek His will, we'll never even know what it is. Many are being called, but few are being chosen because few will even open up their ears and find out what the call is. Number one, we see Isaiah's dream quickly here. Number two, we see Isaiah's decision. Isaiah's decision. Letter A below that notice, his willingness. Look with me back at verse number eight. Isaiah chapter six. The Bible says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah, there in the presence of the throne room of God, he confesses his sins. His sins are purged from him. He hears this conversation about the need for someone to go and represent God on earth. And Isaiah hops up and he says, Pick me, I'll do it. Choose me. How can I help? You need a man? I'll be the man. I'll do it. I'm willing. Many, 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 many people are waiting for them to... Uh, or rather, many, many, many people are following the, the model of Moses who at the burning bush says, I, I have a, a, a stuttering problem and I, I c- c- can't lead the, the people. And, and God says, Moses, I'll give you the words to speak. Go do it. I, I c- 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 can't. God finally got upset with Isaiah and said, it's not about you, but, or rather with Moses, says, it's not about you, man, it's about me. If I'm going to call you, I will equip you. Finally, he says, I'll send your brother to help you. And his brother comes up over the hill. And you know what? After that, his brother doesn't say a word. 
Somehow he said, I don't need you anymore. I got it all figured out. Now here's a good little quote you can write down in your notes somewhere. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. You say, well, I can't. God is just looking for a willing heart. If God's working in your heart to follow Him, you say, well, I'm not educated, or, or I don't know how to, uh, uh, to speak to people. I don't know how to communicate. I struggle with, uh, I, you know, I don't look the part. I, I could never do that. My friend, God is just looking for a willing heart. And a God that can create the world with His words can take you, little old you, and use you. There was a man who went to a pastor. A pastor said, I need you to teach a Sunday school class, and an adult Sunday school class. And, and, and he got to thinking about his uh, inability to speak and how nervous he was in front of people and, uh, and, and, and how he might fail and he might mess up. And he looked at the pastor and said, I don't think God could ever use me. I'm, I'm not capable. I'm not qualified. And the pastor looked back at him and he said, Hey, sir, if God can use Balaam's donkey, then God can use you. He said, Well, if you put it like that, I guess I'll do it. He equips the called. Are you willing? That's the question. David Livingston wrote a famous poem that was turned into a song. Lord, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden on me. Only sustain me. Sever every tie. Save the tie that binds me to thine heart. Lord Jesus, my King, I consecrate my life, Lord, to thee. And we need folks who are willing. Let her be noticed. His work. His work. Look with me at um, verse number 9, and we see the work here that God was going to assign him. A very interesting work. It says, And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Look at verse number 11. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he goes on to say, Until the city is wasted, uh, without inhabitants, and the house without man, and the land be utterly desolate. Quickly here, God was calling Isaiah to go be a preacher to people who weren't, who weren't going to listen to him. God said, Isaiah, I need you to go preach to a people and you're not going to have any converts. You're not going to have anybody that's going to be excited. Uh, it would be like God saying to me, I want you to go out and start a church. Okay, Lord, I'll go start a church where? I want you to go here. Okay, Lord, how long do you want me to do it? I want you to go until no one else is ever coming to your church again. Uh, that's not any fun. Listen, I, build, I, I mark success. I'm just going to be honest. I mark success on how many people show up on Sunday morning. If I, if I came here this coming Sunday morning and I opened up the building and got the coffee started and turned all the lights on, made sure the baptistry water was warm and went back over my sermon notes and got everything ready and 9.45 rolled up, uh, uh, showed up and no one was here. And then I thought, well, maybe someone told everyone Sunday school, life group is canceled. Maybe they'll be here for 10.45. And 10.45 comes around and nobody shows up. I'd be calling all the paid employees and saying, you're fired, amen? Um, but, but, af but after that, I would be depressed. Isaiah preached and no one listened. God said, your duty is to take the message to people who are not going to listen to you. But they'll be without excuse. They'll be without excuse. Let her see. We see Judah's worldliness. Judah's worldliness. Look at verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, and he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Now, a surface reading of verse 9 and 10 almost makes it sound like that God does not want them to understand. God does not want them to get saved. That almost like God is hardening their heart. And uh, people will point to this passage. And uh, th By the way, these verses are repeated five times in the New Testament and given tribute to Isaiah. Let's look at one of them. And let me show you how that is not how this works. Turn over with me, if you would, to John chapter number 12. John 12 and verse 37. We're running out of time, so get there as quick as you can. John 12, 37. And uh, they'll bring up people like Pharaoh, where the Bible says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And they'll say, well, see, then God does choose 
to harden hearts. And God does choose a select people. And my friend, that's not how it works at all. Look at John chapter 12 and verse 37. And we'll read down through verse 41. The Bible says, And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh... uh, I've got... I'm in chapter 11. Excuse me. 1237. I'm in the wrong spot. Let's try that again. Verse 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that that the saying of Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He that blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see um, uh, with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory, Isaiah chapter 6, in the presence of God, and spake of him. Notice the pattern here. In chapter number 12 of John, notice in verse 37, they would not believe. They would not believe. Look back at verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. The very first choice was not God's to harden their heart. It was on their, it was on them. They saw the work of God and they scoffed it, they mocked it, they would not believe. Notice the digression here. They would not believe in 37. Verse 39, they could not believe. Look at 39. Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, and then look down at verse number 40, and we see that they should not believe. It says there uh, that they should not see with their uh, eyes, nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. So the very first choice is them. Uh, Someone worded it this way, the sun that melts the ice also hardens the clay. Talking about hardened hearts. The sun comes out, and depending on the condition of the person's heart, if that sun comes out and someone has a, a heart of ice, that heart melts. If someone has a heart of clay, that heart hardens. One guy said that uh, when he was a young man, he would go into a barn to milk a cow late at night. He grew up on a farm. And he said he'd go out there with a flashlight into the barn where the cows were. And when he came in with that lantern, that flashlight, that lantern, and he'd set it down, he said the rats would scurry and hide. But the birds would begin to sing. You see, the light did not, did not do anything other than reveal Uh, The animals, the animals that were rats hid, the animals that were birds were thankful for the light and sung. And when the word of God was proclaimed by Isaiah, those that were birds sung, but those that were rats, their true colors, their true identity was revealed. Judah's worldliness. Isaiah would stand up and preach, repent, 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 but their heart would get harder and harder and harder. Why? Because of their own stubborn Worldliness. Let's finish out here. Letter D. Nota. Notice Judah wasted. Judah wasted. Go back to Isaiah chapter number 6. And look with me at uh, verse... Verse number 11 and 12. The Bible says, Then said I, Lord, how long? And he said, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate, and the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Now we know this would come true because Babylon would come in and invade uh, later. In fact, we get 37 chapters in, and then we see that, that, or 39 chapters in rather, and we see that that's what happens, that there's an invasion of the land, and Babylon carries them away. Here it's being prophesied about. Now, just a quick point of application. James 1.15 says, Therefore, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You know what? If uh, uh, you, you sit under a preacher who preaches the Bible and preaches against sin the way I do, and you hear the Word of God, and you're here and not a doer, you don't make any changes, guess what? At some point, your heart's going to become hardened to preaching, and your sin's going to end up wasting you away. Letter E, lastly, notice God's will. Look at verse 13. But yet, in it shall be a tent. And it shall return and shall be eaten as a, as a teal tree or a very large tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed 
shall be the substance thereof. I wish I had time tonight to break down verse 13 and talk about, uh, explain all that it means. But just quickly here, this directly speaks to the captivity, or rather spoke directly to their captivity, a tenth of the people coming back at the end of the Babylonian captivity. It speaks of the Jewish tribulation saints, a tenth of them being saved during the tribulation saints. And it also speaks to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and his millennial reign. Real quick, turn over just a page or two in your Bible to chapter 11 and look at verse number 1. There the Bible says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Their worldliness and their sin would cause their oak tree, uh, again as a metaphor, to be destroyed, to be cut down, to be burned. But out of that oak tree, a branch would shoot up in the Lord Jesus Christ, and one day he will rule and reign forever. What do we learn is that God always provides hope, even for those who do wrong, that are his children, and he has to chastise them. Now, let's go back and talk about Isaiah as we close up this evening. When Isaiah walked out of the temple that day, he was no longer a mourner, he was a missionary. He was not merely a spectator of God's work, he was a participant in it. God had called him and had equipped him to do the job. Isaiah had seen the Lord, he had seen himself, and he had seen the need. Knowing that God was on the throne and that God had called and commissioned him, he was ready to preach the word and be faithful unto death. Now that is an example that all of us can follow today. Have you seen the Lord? Have you seen yourself? And have you seen the need? We have a world that needs Jesus. And we need Christians who will get in the presence of God, get their sins confessed, figure out how they play a role in that, and get busy doing it. Isaiah's heavenly visit. You may not walk, you're not going to walk into the throne room of God the way Isaiah did, but you can't go there through prayer and spend time with the Lord and get your heart in tune with His. Let's, uh, let's all stand together this evening and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Thanks, thanks to all of you for being here this evening. I hope that the service has been a blessing to you. I hope you'll go back and look at Isaiah 6 deeper and study it deeper and understand it better. Um, and we'll be in Isaiah 7 next. Amen? Let's pray, and uh, we'll be dismissed tonight. Lord, thank you for giving us a chance to gather. Lord, this world needs Christians who will be submissive to the God that saved them. Lord, where we'll get our hearts confessed and right, we'll see ourselves as broken, finite, limited, and see you as an infinite, powerful, loving God. Lord, help us to surrender to you and follow your plan for our lives. Lord, as we begin to see the need, may we volunteer to answer the call. Lord, help us tonight to leave here determined to share Jesus with anyone and everyone who will listen. In Jesus' name we pray.